Good morning, Lincoln Avenue. Open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus 20, verse 17. The last of the Ten Commandments. So we're in a little mini-series here on the Ten Commandments. Our big series is working through the life of Moses. And uh, we've got held up here for six or seven weeks on the Ten Commandments. And so today is the last of the Tenth Commandment. The Ten Commandments, the Ten Commandment. Man, I don't know about you guys, but um, I've had like a... You ever see Charlie Brown where that guy has the cloud? I don't know which one he is, but the guy that has the cloud over him all the time, kind of, you know, walking around throughout his week. Uh, I have felt like that guy for about the last month, except on Sunday mornings during our worship, okay? It's almost like the the clouds part and the the sun just streams in and uh, my soul is refreshed. And I told our musicians in the last service, man, I appreciate you guys. Uh, You you are literally like a breath of fresh air to my soul. And uh, it is good for me to sing about our King. Uh, There's something that my soul desperately needs there, and so I I appreciate them, and I appreciate their effort, and I appreciate us being able to do that together. Exodus chapter 20, uh, we're going to be looking at verse 17. Uh, I wasn't here for announcements, and so if you haven't heard, um, I'm kind of excited about this. We're not doing Sunday school. We're doing our COVID spike um, alternate schedule, and so we haven't done Sunday school for the last several weeks. And uh, instead of that, today, we decided we'd do something creative. We thought, you know what? If this... If we're already doing this, then let's, use, let's, let's offer something else creative. And so in here, after our, our, this service is over uh, at 11, uh, you, I think there's some donuts in there. If you want to go in the, in the cafeteria and grab a donut, uh, get a drink, something like that. Um, but if you want to come back in here or just stay in here, uh, Pastor Daniel is going to do a presentation on David Brainerd, a uh, great uh, American missionary uh, to the American Indians in the Northeast uh, uh, had tuberculosis. This was before COVID, uh, when tuberculosis was the bad deal. And uh, he's going to be in costume. I think your kids will like it. Uh, just doing a biographical sketch of David Brainerd's life with kind of a, a spiritual push. And so uh, I, I think you'll love it. Uh, I hope you'll stick around for it, okay? Exodus twenty seventeen. Here we go. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Father in heaven, we thank you for being so good to us. Uh, Lord Jesus, you have blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, and we rejoice in that this morning. Jesus, you have tied us to you. Our destiny is your destiny. Our, our future is your future through your resurrection. And Jesus, we, we say thank you today. We praise you today. Father, I pray that you would speak through your word, that you would teach us about our own desires. God, that you would help us to cultivate a desire for you that is above all. Father, let us taste and see that you are good today. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so just, this is our last one, and so just one more time in a very short, short just way, may I encourage you again that if you are here this morning looking to be right with God, if you're here this morning saying, man, I want to be justified, I want to be righteous before God, I would remind you again 
that there is no path to righteousness. There is no possible conceivable way for you to be justified before God by obeying his commands, okay? So, so if, you're, if your plan is, man, I'm going to find out all the commands, I'm going to do them all, and I'm going to be right with God, I, I, I am the bearer of bad news this morning that it is impossible. You have already blown it. You've already destroyed that plan. You've already failed on a monumental level. You are a broken sinner before God, and there is but one path for you back to righteousness. There is but one path to justification. There is but one path to, to being in a right fellowship with Jesus Christ, with God the Father, and that is through Jesus. That's through his perfect life lived for you, through his sacrificial death on the cross in your place, paying for your sins. It is through repentance and faith in him that you can be right with him. And then once you're right with him, he gives you his spirit. He puts his spirit inside of you. He he empowers you to, to begin to obey him, to begin to follow him, to begin to rejoice in him, to begin to love his commands, okay? That is the Christian life, all right? So that's kind of the umbrella in which we need to look at everything that we've been doing in the Ten Commandments. Now, today, the Tenth Commandment is super important in tying all the others together, okay? So, so if, if, if in, in your mind, all you see in the commandments are actions, you know, don't kill, don't steal, don't commit adultery, honor your father and mother, you know, don't do this, do that, don't do this, do, do that. Man, you're, you're missing it. You're missing this key component that actions always come from somewhere, right? They come from somewhere. Like people act for a reason. They, they act because of something inside of them. They act because of their desires. And if you've been with us, we, we've been taking the Ten Commandments and then we've been going over to the New Testament and saying, okay, what did Jesus say about that, right? And, and, and like, it, it's really clear what Jesus and Paul said about the commandments. You know, Jesus would say, boiling hatred in your heart, it's murder. He just says, that's what it is. It's murder. Jesus would say, undressing a woman with your eyes, that's adultery, right? And so Jesus Jesus has been teaching that. Paul has been teaching that. But really, the 10th commandment teaches that in this command, you shall not covet. Don't covet. Don't don't desire what is your neighbor's. In, In the book of Matthew, the gospel of Matthew chapter 15, verse 19 and 20, here's what Jesus would say. He said, out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander, These are what defile a person. In other words, Jesus, that's where that stuff comes from. Yeah, whenever you have a, a wrong action, it's because there's a wrong heart. It's because there's a wrong desire. There's a desire that is out of line. And so we've got to deal with the heart. We can't get anywhere with the commandments until we deal with the desires. Okay, so let's talk about coveting, all right? What is it to covet? Well, it is, I like John Piper very simply said, it's desiring something too much. And then your next question is going to be, what's too much? And so here's what he says. He says, too much is measured by how that desire compares with your desiring of God. Okay, if, if desire leads you away from God rather than closer to God, it's covetousness. And so we, we might say a good definition would be desire that leads your heart in the wrong direction. Now, not all desires are bad. Um, if, if, if you're a Buddhist in here, or if you want to be a Buddhist, I'm sorry. Uh, but it, 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 Buddhism basically says, get to a place where you don't desire anything. 
Uh, first of all, that is not the way you're built, okay? Like, like that's going against the way that God made you, all right? God made you to desire, okay? Desiring is not the wrong thing. I, I desire to eat food, and I desire to drink water. I desire to have friends. I desire to be able to provide for my family, to keep them safe. Those are all good and appropriate desires, okay? But every desire can get out of place, right? Like, like your desire for food, it, it, can, it can get in the passing lane, zoom past everything else, and it, it, can, it, can be in the, it can be in the lead to where you answer everything in your life through food. If you're, if you're, hungry, if you're anxious, you, you, you eat. If you're scared, you eat. If you're happy, you eat. If you're bored, you eat. If you're, what, everything, like everything, eating is leading your desires, okay? That's out of line. It's called gluttony. The Bible calls it gluttony, and it's, it's, it's a desire that's out of line. Your desire to keep your family safe, that's good. That's good. You should have that. But if that desire keeps you from ever going on mission, if it keeps you from ever going into a neighborhood that, 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 that needs the gospel or a country that needs the gospel, if that, if that desire to keep your family safe, if you get in the passing lane, that thing zooms past everything else, pretty soon you find yourself spending family time in your bunker, you know, and you can't ever all be together because someone's got to man the periscope and someone's got to be on the AK-47. Hey, you know what? Your desire, it... it it, it went wild. It, it got out of line. It, it's what Augustine would call an inordinate desire. It, it is in the wrong place, okay? And so, so what makes a desire covetous, all right? How do we know when our desire has gotten, gotten past everything else? It's out of order. It, it's, it's, it's wrong. Uh, it's dangerous. How do we know that? Okay, I want to give you several things. Uh, the first part of this sermon is how do, how do you know your, your desire is out of line? And then the second part is going to be how do you cultivate the right kind of, kind of desires? So there, there's your two kind of halves of what we're going to do today, okay? So first of all, how do you know your desire is out of line, okay? First of all, very, very easy one, very straightforward. I think you'll agree. Don't desire things that are sin, right? Don't desire things that are sin. And so when you think about sin, sin is a rejection of God. Sin is rebellion against God. Sin is really saying, God, I don't trust you. I don't trust you. I don't trust what you said. And God, actually, I don't desire you. I want this over here. And that's really the heart of sin. And so whenever you crave, you desire, you want things that God has said are forbidden, and that is covetous. And not only is it covetous, it is dangerous, and it needs to be urgently dealt with. There ought to be alarms going off in your head when you find yourself having desires for things that God has said will kill you. God has said they will bring you misery. Sin brings misery. Sin brings death. Sin brings separation from God. And so when you find yourself wanting things, I would just even say this as an illustration. If you go home tonight and you go in your house and you see the Drano up in the garage cabinet and you're like, man, I am thirsty for that. Okay. Be alarmed, right? Like be alarmed. Like you should go get help. Say, honey, I just, I have a real crave for Drano. Please hold me back. Please put that stuff down the drain. You know, like don't let it kill me. I would say the same thing about sin. There's this great story in the Old Testament of uh, a guy named Achan. And in Joshua chapter six, God is giving the Israelites the gateway city to the promised land. Like it's happening. They're, they're about to enter the promised land and, and they have like a week to prepare for Jericho. And over and over again, as God gives them the plan, gives them the instructions for Jericho, one of the things he says is, when I give you the city, everything in it's devoted to destruction. Okay, it's all devoted to destruction. And so if you take it, 
If you take something in the city and bring it into your tent, guess what? You're bringing destruction into your house. Let me, let me walk through what happened with Achan. I'll just let him tell the story. Joshua 7.20, and Achan answered Joshua, truly I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak from Shinar and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, then I coveted them. And I took them. Okay, so Achan should have had alarms going off, right? Like, like it, it's obvious why he would want these things. They're valuable. But what had God said about them? These things will bring you death. These things will bring you destruction. So he should have had alarms going off. That's Drano. I don't, I don't care how good it looks. I don't care what, what you feel in your heart. That, that's poison. But he says, I took them. And I hid him in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath. And if you know the story of Achan, it ends up in him and his family's death. Okay, that's coveting. David's on the rooftop. Should have gone to battle. He didn't go to battle. He sees a woman bathing. He, he wants her. She's beautiful. Okay, now what, should have been, what, what alarm should have been going off in David's head? What has God said about that? What did he say about adultery? He, he said it's destruction, it, it's misery, it's sin, it's against my commands, right? David should have that. He, he didn't listen to that. He took Bathsheba into his house. He had an adulterous affair, and David's life was never the same. Eve in the garden, over and over again, we have these illustrations. So number one, covetous is wanting things that God has said, this will bring your destruction. This is sin. This is rebellion, okay? Number two, Coveting, you know you're coveting when you desire things more than God or in the place of God. All right, now, here would be my test for this, okay? If you find yourself saying, if I don't have this thing, if you find yourself feeling in your heart, man, if, if I don't have this person, if I don't have this life, if I don't have this um, whatever, then I can't be happy. I can't be at peace. I can't be okay. I, I can't. I can't be joyful. If I, if I don't have this, then I'm not okay. Okay, what, what are you essentially saying to God? You're saying, God, this desire for this thing, man, it's gotten a passing lane. It's past everything else. It, it, is, it is ruling and reigning at the top here because I can't be okay if I don't have it. I can't be happy. I can't be at peace if, if I don't have this thing. Well, that is a clear sign that you are coveting something. You have a desire, you have a passion that is, is ruling your life and it is over God. Number three, don't desire things that diminish your desire for God. Okay, I, I, I kind of look at, um, I look at everybody's got a desire tank, okay? Just work with me here, follow me, all right? Everybody's got a desire tank, all right? This, this basically is your, your capacity to want things, okay? Now, if, 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 uh, if 98% of your tank is, is being, being consumed, you're investing, you're going after, you're reaching for these other things, what's left for God? You know, a lot of times we say, man, I, I just, I don't know, is something wrong with me, pastor? I'm, I'm, I know I'm a Christian, but I just, I don't desire the things of God. Well, maybe that's because you're working on 2%, you know? Like everything else, you're, you, you've given to other stuff that... That would be covetous. Listen to this parable that Jesus told in the gospel of Luke. 
This is in Luke chapter 12. And by the way, the setting of this parable is two brothers fighting over money. Okay, can you imagine that? That's never happened, has it? Two brothers fighting over money. The one brother comes, says, hey, Jesus, pick, please take my side here. Tell my brother to get, give me part of, my, part of the inheritance, okay, or give me my share of the inheritance. And, and Jesus says this to him. He, before he even talks about the parable, he says this. He says, take care. In other words, be careful. Be, be warned here. Be on your guard against all covetousness. Okay, that's, that's in verse um, 15. Be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. What is Jesus saying? He, he, he's saying, look, you, you only got so much life to give, and so be on guard about giving this huge chunk of it to, to money, in this case, to success, right? Because that's not what your life is about. Let's read the parable. So starting in verse 16, and he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I'll store my grain and all my goods. And I'll say to my soul, so you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Okay, well, what did this guy do? He, he basically gave a whole bunch of attention. He gave a whole bunch of desire. He gave a whole bunch of his wanting to one thing, right? Like securing his financial future. And man, he's got it down. He built larger storage facilities. He's got them all packed full of grain. He's got his life all planned out. He's got next year taken care of and the next year taken care of and the next year taken care of. So he thinks in his mind. Here's what God says about that. Verse 20. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things that you've prepared, whose will they be? In other words, all that desire wasted. Okay, verse 21, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Okay, do you, do you see what he's saying there? So is the one who gives this huge chunk of his pie, his, his desires. He gives all of this to possessions, to things, to money. He, he has a little sliver for God. And he says, you wasted your life. You've made all short-term investments. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus tells a parable of the soils. And one of the soils is the thorny soil. Let me, let me read you what he says about the thorny soil. He says, as for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit. And oh, 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 I, jumped, I jumped a verse there. Wow. Okay, 22. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but, he, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. Okay, so he hears the word, he, he hears the truths of the gospel, the, the beauty of Christ, but what, what, what's happened here? His desires, his desires for all this other stuff, it chokes it. It has this choking effect. It squeezes down on, on his desire for the things of God. So he just doesn't have much desire. And, and, and it chokes it out. It chokes it out so he doesn't bear fruit. So in one sense, in, in this parable, your desires would be the soil. You only got so much soil. If you plant the whole thing with weeds and then scatter a few, a few good wheat seeds in there, corn seeds in there, I mean, you're, you're not going to have a harvest. Why? Because the weeds choke it out. Your desire for all this other stuff chokes out your good desire for the Lord. Number four, covetousness is when you desire things in a way that is disconnected from God, okay? 
Whenever, whenever you desire things that don't have a connection with God. Okay, one of my favorite verses is 1 Corinthians 10, 31. It says this. It says, whatever you do, whether you, eat, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. All right? In other words, everything you do should have a God connection. Okay? So if you desire money, okay, if you desire a financially fiscally prosperous future. Let me tell you, that desire should be deeply connected to this gratitude for God's provision, for this this acknowledgement of God's sovereignty, of his providence, and then for this deep satisfaction in using the money for his kingdom's good. Like if that's there, then your desire is probably held in check, right? Like, like it's right, like, like it, it, your desire is being governed by this acknowledgement of God's sovereignty and God's providence and this deep, deep regard for, for, for God's gift and his gratitude and then, then this desire, this satisfaction in pushing that money into kingdom purposes, well, that thing's probably held in check. If you desire a spouse, okay, that, that should be held in check. It should be coupled with this desire to live out the, the picture of Jesus Christ loving his bride. Like, that should govern that. If you desire children, it, 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 should, it should be coupled with this desire to spend that opportunity making disciples of those children, being a disciple maker. If you desire recreation, it, it should be coupled with this desire to refresh your soul in the Lord, to, to, to magnify the joy of others, your family and friends around you in the Lord, in that recreation. In other words, any other desire should have some kind of connection to God. It should be unto God. Number five, we know we're coveting when we desire things in a way that says, I am owed this. I deserve this. Man, be so careful with, with, with that little phrase in your mind, I deserve, I, I'm owed this. Man, be careful with that. Be careful with that. Here's, here's what I think should happen. We should see every good thing in our life as grace. We should be surprised at mercy. Right? I, I, really think, I really think as mercy comes your way, it should jar you. It should shock you. It should surprise you. You, you, you should think about what, what you have and what you desire with this acknowledgement that we are sinners deserving hell. What does Jason Dirks really deserve? What's the one thing I have earned in my life? Hell. That, that's it. I, I deserve Hell. I live in a broken world, a world that is in direct rebellion against God. And so every time I get mercy, it ought to be a little jarring. I can't believe God God did that. I can't believe we're well. I can't believe we're comfortable. I can't believe we're surrounded by family and friends. It's mercy. I was with some guys this morning. We were praying at 7 at the Lincoln campus before the first service, and there was kind of this down spirit about the election and about things, and people were, you know, pretty grumbly and not happy about stuff. And and I, I get that. I I feel the same. I I understand that. But I, I just felt it was fitting to show a a video that I got this week from one of our mission partners on the other side of the world of a 16 year old Sunday school teacher who was attacked and burned over most of her body. And the, in the video, they lift up the blanket, and you can see her flesh torn. She ought to be in a, if she was in the United States, she'd be in a burn unit somewhere. But she's in a, in a hut on a cot with a blanket. 
Perspective is good. What do I deserve? What, what do I really deserve? And, and hasn't God been so merciful? Folks, there's something broken in me when I believe and act as if I am owed a certain pleasure, as if I am owed a certain standard of life, a certain carefree state. There's something broken in me when God tells me, your sins are forgiven, Jason, and you are, you are seated in the heavenly places, and you are blessed with every spiritual blessing in, 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 in the heavenlies. When God tells me that, and I turn around and say, but yeah, but I, I don't have this, and I feel that I've been cheated. Job loses literally everything in the first chapter of Job. In verse 21, he says, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Man, Job has it, doesn't he? It's, there's not an absence of sadness there. There's not an absence of grief. But you know what there is? There's this rest in the providence of God. There's this deep acknowledgement that the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So that's how I think that we can identify covetousness in our life. Now, let's move to our next question, okay? Okay. My, my, my next question for you would, would be this. How do you cultivate right desires? I, I, I think this, whenever you think about covetous, uh, this has got to be the driving motivation, okay? Because what, what I think I want to do is not just tell myself no to wrong desires, okay? That, that's part of it, okay? That, that's good. So, man, there's a desire. I shouldn't want that. I'm going to tell myself no. I'm, I'm going I'm to speak truth, the truth of God about that. But honestly, the way that you conquer covetousness is by filling up your tank with a desire for God, right? That's, a, that's how you conquer it. You, you, need to, you need to desire God. And, and so really the big question I think on our plate is, is how do I increase my desire for God? How, how, do I, how do I anchor my hopes in God, my happiness in God, my security in God, my peace in God, my excitement in God, my adventure in God, my future in God? How do I anchor and tie all those things to God so that I desire more of him, so that my tank is filled up with, with this desire for God and it leaves no room? For the weeds. Let me give you some ideas about how we do that. Number one, I think we, we need to ask for it. Would you just right now just examine your prayer life? Okay, so I'll, I'll try to do that with mine. Like, what did I pray about this week? What, what did I recurringly ask the Lord for? I, I can tell you there were, there were some people in our church that I prayed for every day this week, people that, that have, are in crisis, people that are, are, are struggling. Uh, I prayed for my family each day. I prayed for uh, my children. I prayed for their spiritual life, uh, some other things. But ask yourself this, how often do you pray, God, change what I desire? Change my heart. You see, the psalmist, they prayed that. Psalm 51.10, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit in me. Psalm 141.4, do not let my heart incline to any evil, to busy myself with wicked deeds in company with men who work iniquity. Let me not eat of their delicacies. You're going to see that word incline a bunch in the psalms. 
And I love it. It's like, what are you leaning toward? You know, what, 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 are you, what are you moving toward? What are you looking at? What are you reaching for? That, that's what the word incline means. It, it's like, what, which way is your heart bending? You get out of here and you get in the car and you go, where's your heart bending? What, do you, what are you desiring? What are you looking after? What are you pursuing? And, and you find the psalmist saying here, don't let my heart incline to any evil. One of the verses that we say all the time going to school, Psalm 1936 it says, incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. God, bend my heart. Bend it. So be relentless. Ask him. Ask him for right desires. Man, I, I'll just give a little testimony here. Um, I have seen over the 23 years of being pastor here at this church, I have found myself, and you're going to find this hard to believe, right now, it, 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 there's no problem right now. Like I look out at you guys, man, you're all such pleasant people. But believe it or not, we've had folks at Lincoln that were hard to love, okay? And, and you, know, you know what I've found amazing is that I, I have asked God specifically, God, help me love that person. You know, they're, they're the kind of people that when they enter a room, you kind of want to exit the room, you know, or, or like when there's a, a room full of people and they're at one table, you're like, uh-huh. you know, you're like repelled. And, and you know what I found just absolutely miraculous is that through persistently asking God, God, help me love that person, God will give me a genuine heart for them. Like, not, not a fake one. Not like, oh, I can put up with them, God. But like a genuine, like, man, I'm, I am happy to see you. I'm like, where did that come from? That, God does that. Like, God can change your desires. And so relentlessly ask him. Guys, ask him. You have trouble reading your Bible? Ask him. God, give me a hunger for this book. God, give me a desire for the scriptures. Give me a desire for your promises. God, give me a desire for fellowship with other believers. Give me a desire for the gospel. Give me a desire for the things of God. Ask him. Ask him. Number two, meditate upon and appropriate the gospel. All right, there's a great verse in the Psalms that I think helps with this one, okay? So meditate upon, appropriate the gospel. All right, Psalm 34, 8. Here it is, ready? Taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste. Man, what, what a great metaphor, right? It, it's, it's, you, you got this stuff on the table, and, and, and what the Bible's telling you to do is, man, you need to sample this. You need to, you need to taste it. You need to take it in. You know what? What does your heart long for? Glory? Some of your hearts long for glory. That, that's why you're so obsessed with sports, right? Like, like you long for glory or hunting or the big buck or, or the, the fast car or whatever. You, your heart longs for glory. My friends, there is glory in the gospel. Unparalleled, unmatched glory in God. Taste. You just need to taste. You need to come back again and again and sample the glory of God in the gospel. Some of you long for love. You, you want somebody to love you. It is this hole in your heart that aches because you, you never got it as a kid or you haven't had it in your marriage and you just long for love. Taste and see that the Lord is good. There is love in the gospel. There is one who has loved you 
with an everlasting love. He has given his own son to buy you into his family. He has showered his mercy on you. He has tied you to himself forever. He has created a place where he's going to live with you for all eternity. He is the first and best of beings, the most pleasant and exciting human in all of history, and he loves you. But you got to taste it. You can't just hear me say it. You need to taste it. Some of you want friendship. You long for that. You you look around and everybody else got friends. You don't have, that's the way you see it. And there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Taste it. Some of you long for hope. You, you, you just, all you see when you look ahead in your life is just darkness and you just long for light, some glimmer of goodness. There is hope, unparalleled hope in the gospel, rock solid, count on it forever, for sure, hope in the gospel. Taste it. Some of you want power. You, you long for power. There is resurrection power, creation of a new heaven and earth power, power over sin, death, and the grave, power to transform a heart in the gospel. Some of you long for mission. You long, you desire for your life to matter. You're putting yourself in organizations and clubs and because you just want to matter to somebody. There is a mission out there that is the mission of all of history, and you're invited into it. Taste it. You got to taste it and see that the Lord is good. Grab onto his promises. Colossians 3, chapter 1, describes it as set your mind on things above, not on things. It's an action. Be thankful. As you taste, be thankful and content with all there is in Christ. Man, again, the Psalms, they, they, do, they do all of this, like all the time. But I, I love Psalm 84, 10. A day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. You see what he's saying? He, he's saying, man, God, a little, uh, 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 just a place with you, a small place with you is better than a thousand other places. It's better than every place on Instagram. A, a, little, a little bit with you is better than all that I could imagine. The next verse, verse 11, Psalm 84, 11 Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Do you believe that? No good thing does he withhold. All right. I didn't number this one. It keeps messing me up. I think we're on six. Number six. How do you, how do you stir up desire for God? Stop. Stop. Stop comparing yourself to other people. That, that is just a desire quencher, okay? It is an appetite suppressor, okay? Stop doing it. It just fuels discontent and wrong desires in your life, okay? Stop, stop comparing your spouse to somebody else's spouse, your boyfriend to somebody else's boyfriend, your girlfriend to somebody else's girlfriend, your car to somebody else's car, your hunting lease to somebody else's hunting lease, your vacation to somebody else's vacation. Stop comparing your house to somebody else's house, your kids to somebody else's kids, your health to somebody else's health, your finances, your retirement, your friends to somebody else's finances, retirement, and friends. Stop comparing. Stop looking. Stop assessing. Stop measuring yourself by other people. All it does is create discontent and wrong desires. 
Okay, and there's some things you need to know about it. Number one, you don't even know what your neighbor has, okay? Let's just be real. You don't even know what your neighbor has. You think he's got this beautiful wife that is winsome and, and, and charming and, 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 and doting in public. Is that what he really has? I don't know. I just know from doing counseling, she might be the meanest, untrustworthiest, unfaithful, discontent, argumentative woman on the face of the planet for which he wakes up every moment of every day wanting to die because he made the decision to marry her. And you're over there coveting her. Because you just, you don't know. You're like, oh, no, I do. I, you don't know. Man, I could give you evidence after evidence of people that leave one person for another person. They get to that other person like, what did I do? Folks, you don't know what people have. You're like, well, I do. I, I've got Facebook and Instagram. You know what I'm amazed at? I was noticing this yesterday. Uh, I have Instagram. I put my little sermonettes up there, by the way. Uh, check them out. But uh, I, most of the things I subscribe to are like, like national parks and you know different stuff like that. And uh, it's really funny because I'll see these pictures of places that I've been. Like I, I was standing in that place and I took my own picture, and their picture looks way different than my picture. You know, it's like theirs is way better. Like like you were were we in the same spot? You know. Were there not like a busload of Mandarin tourists there when you were there? You know, like, it's fake. It's fake. It's filtered. They had 20 people holding everybody back, and everybody was cursing them while they took the picture, you know? What was it really like there? Get out of the way! Get out of there! Come on! But it didn't look like that in the picture. You don't know what people really have. You don't know the trouble that accompanies what they have. There was a yacht that went through Woodward the other day. Did you guys see it? It was the biggest boat I've ever seen in my life on a trailer in, the, in Woodward, Oklahoma. Not near any interstate, not near any body of water that you could put it in. I have no idea why it was coming through Woodward. But, but it shot me in, and I'll just, I'll just, let me take you through my, my mindset. So I saw it, and, and immediately I was like, man, I like had this picture of my family on the on the Mediterranean, right off the coast of Greece, you know, with all those rocks and that turquoise water and you know, us jumping off and so you know. And then like the practical Jason like kicked in for a little bit. Like I was wondering, like, do I have enough money to fill it up with whatever it fills up with, you know? And and if it breaks, what would I do? You know, like where would I? And and then my mind just kept going to insurance and store. Like where would I store it? Like literally, it would not fit in my driveway. I've got no, I've, I've no other way. And you know, one of you would have to like, hey, can I put my yacht? You know, there. And, and then then I started just asking the question: Would that thing hitch up to the Yaris? You know, I don't, I don't know. And where would I pull it? And where would I put it in? And how do you drive it? And like like literally, when I got to the end of that, I I, I just started thinking. For me to actually get my family, you know, and put in that thing and on the Mediterranean is like a lifelong quest. Like literally it would take the rest of my life to pull that moment off. You don't know the trouble of what the person has. 
And finally, maybe most importantly, you don't know that God doesn't have a glorious purpose for what you lack. I'm going to read Psalm 84, 11 again, okay? For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk. If Jason doesn't have a yacht, Jason doesn't need a yacht, right? Like, that's, that's silly. Thank you, Jesus, I don't have a yacht. I don't have to worry about that thing on the street getting ticketed right now, you know, for where am I going to put it? Remember Paul, thorn in the flesh? God take it away three times. And God says, Paul, man, this, this is saving your life. This is, this is preserving your eternity. This is, this is saving your ministry. So, stir up desire for the things of God. Okay, I think those are good ways to do that. Now, obviously, Covening is idolatry, right? So really the 10th commandment and the first commandment, they go hand in hand, okay? Because when, when, you, when you have this desire for something else that er, passes, passes all your other desires, reigns and rules over your life, that is functional idolatry. Colossians 3 says it. Covetousness is idolatry, okay? But I, I would also make the case to you that coveting ruins the other six commandments as well, okay? So it, it breaks the other six commandments, let, 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 me, let me give you my, my reference for this. James chapter four, verse one and two. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. Okay, okay do you see what he says there? He says, what's the problem in your conflicts with other people? It is your desires, right? It is you've had this desire that passes all the others, passes your desire for God, parks itself right up here at the top, and that causes conflict with other people. It's really at the root of your conflicts with other people. Right? You desire money, you desire possessions, you desire easy life, a comfortable life, power, and that is at odds with other people. I see this in marriage. Uh, I've had this very scenario play out in my office time and time again. One spouse desires money. They desire a certain standard of life, and the other spouse is in some way in the way of that. They either don't make enough, or they cost too much, or they spend too much, or they get sick, or there's, there's a problem. And, and, and you can tell. Sometimes it's not voice, but it's there. It's like, I, you're in the way of what I want. Sometimes it's just, it's just I want to be in control. Like, I want to be the boss. I want to call the shots. I want to rule, rule the house. And the other's like, me too. And so, so James says, your problem with other people is desires that are out of line. And what, what is his answer to that, by the way? Look, look what he says. He says, you do not have, this is verse two, because you do not ask. So first of all, your problem is you don't take your desires to God. If you did take them to God, he would fix them, okay? Or he says, if you do, notice the next verse, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions, your covetous Desires. You, you want the wrong thing, and when you do come to God, you, just, you ask him to give you the wrong thing. You don't ask him to give, give you himself. I'm gonna finish with a favorite verse of mine. 
It's Psalm 37, 4. Are you ready? Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Right there. Right there. Delight yourself in the Lord. Okay, do you see what that's saying? That's saying your desire for for God, your desire for spiritual things, your desire for more of him, when, when you get that dude to the top, and God unleashes this flood of satisfaction. That's why Jesus said in the, in the Beatitudes, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they'll be satisfied. You put something else up there at the top, you'll never be satisfied. You'll, you'll, we'll bury you at the front of, a, of this church or our other campus. We'll bury you, you having chased that other thing and never caught it. It won't satisfy your soul. But delight yourself in the Lord. And he will give you the desires of your heart. So Lincoln, I would ask you this morning, what do you desire? What do you desire? What what do you love? What do you you seek after? What's your heart inclined for? What are you asking for? And desire God. Desire the best thing. Desire more of him. Desire Jesus. Let's ask for help. Father, we, uh, we recognize our deep need for you in this issue. God, we, we recognize, Father, our brokenness. We recognize that, God, we want things that you've told us will lead to our death, that will lead to our misery, that will lead to rebellion. Father, we, we acknowledge our brokenness and we ask you to fix us, Lord. Fix us through the work of your son, Jesus. Fix us through the power of the Holy Spirit. God, fix us through your word and your promises. God, enable us today to taste and to see that you're good. Father, give us, give us a desire for you. God, give us a delight in you this morning. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name, amen.